hey hi so uh, good uh, morning and uh, we are going to, this is the last topic of the counterculture series i think this is an exciting topic i also think this is also a historic topic uh, i've never heard of politics ever in my uh, ever in my church life in the past and uh, um, i'm looking forward to this and uh, and i'm sure that you know some of us must be thinking what is this about right i mean if in the past we have never spoken about politics and what does that have to do with the bible then you would be surprised uh, and uh, so we just want to invite all of us and uh, uh, please vote up your questions do, do not add new fresh questions if your questions are already asked in different formats so i think that will be also great okay so uh, as riju says maybe this is a little bit of an unusual topic and uh, you know we haven't uh, we talked about it very much but it's very important in fact if i go by all the questions that you have in the uh, in the um, pigeon hole it's uh, it's quite a you know quite a hot topic so i should uh, i should forewarn you that um, that we have a, we have quite a bit of material to cover and to be honest i don't even know i'll be able to cover all of it so i've talked to digital that we might have to split this up into two So here's what I'll say about the questions. We'll try to focus next time more on the questions. So Liju, you might want to just um, capture these questions and store them off somewhere um, after the sure. session. But having said that, you know, as I read uh, through the questions, you know, I think uh, a lot of them will get either directly or indirectly answered, and I'll try to hit some of them. You know, I've just done a quick glance through. You know, I'll try to hit some of them during the. The, the lesson here and one thing i do find that i would encourage everybody to really uh, you know pay attention and think right so so very often we sort of come to these sessions you know with some very specific questions like you know who should i vote for and you know what party is the right party and what's the wrong party okay i'm not i'm not going to be telling you who to vote for nor am i going to be telling you what party is a good party or not a good or, a, or what's a bad party that's really not our position um you know or, or the role of the church to tell you which political party to be a part of or which uh, candidate to vote for okay that's something that we are all expected to do uh, certainly we'll give you certain principles to understand the role of the church in politics the role of the individual believer in politics um you know politics as it fits into the overall scheme of the biblical world view why do we have politics why do we have governments you know all of these things um you know we'll talk about that right and then the idea is that uh, is that every one of us individually should then you know be able to take this and apply it to our individual situation certainly you know we'll try to address it based on uh, give you our point of view on on some of these things but um, but a lot of the time i find that even after we go through a whole lesson and explain a lot of things people still come back with the same question because you know either uh, you know some specific nuance was not addressed or they just not thinking through and they just want an answer okay they just want you just want like a, you know it's like a, when you're doing the exam you know you know if you're doing a science problem you know there's all these things that you have to work through or a math problem the steps and all that you know nobody likes working through the steps we just want the final answer well just give me the final answer right but the idea of going through all this is to equip all of us equip all of you all of us to really look at these subjects from a biblical perspective okay and that's the only way 
you know, I'll go back to my favorite passage uh, in scripture. Uh, well, I've got many, but uh, this is one of them. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Okay, be it transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, how do you get transformed by the renewing of your mind? It's when you apply your mind. Okay, you apply your mind, um, you know, to scripture and to applying scripture to the day-to-day -day issues that we have to deal with. Okay, and, and as Liju was saying that, you know, I, I saw one of the questions that said, um, you know, um, if I can pull it up here, um, you know, one of the question questions said something like uh, growing up. Yeah, here it is. Growing up. Uh, well, it's not a question. It was, a, it was more like a statement. Growing up, I was taught never to discuss or talk about politics. I thought it was a taboo topic among believers. And there are some people who have uh, responded to that. Um, you know, and is it okay if it's okay to discuss about politics or should believers say, well, I mean, we're talking about politics, so obviously it's okay. But, but clearly there are these misconceptions and this goes back into this very, very dangerous concept. It has nothing to do with politics, but it has to do with Christianity and life, okay? which is that, that somehow we, we have come up either through tradition or culture or our upbringing or our church background, whatever, you know, uh, that uh, these, this notion that there are some things that are of the church and some things that are of the world. There are some things that are, uh, put it in other terminology, sacred and other things that are secular, okay? There is no such thing. There is no such dichotomy. All right. And, uh, you know, if you didn't uh, hear my podcast that I did with Raven on work, please go and listen to it. Okay. You know, work is a spiritual thing for a Christian. Uh, you know, uh, politics is a spiritual thing for a Christian. How we engage with politics and with government is a spiritual thing for a Christian. How we manage our money is a spiritual exercise for a Christian. Everything we do, every decision we make. Okay. So that notion that whoever that was, that was the person that you were brought up with is, is very wrong. It's very dangerous, not just wrong, uh, because then it teaches us that there are some things that I need to worry about, you know, what the Bible says and, and what the right approach is, the Christian approach. And there are other things that, you know, I can just ignore it because I can do it any way I want. It's a worldly thing. You know, I can follow the principles of the world. Absolutely wrong. Okay. So it's important that we get through, get, understand that point, and especially as we go into this topic. So, um, so what what should we talk about? So we're going to talk about this, you know, and and you'll see this we'll hit this point right off the bat here. Uh, should the church be involved in politics, and what way should the church be involved in politics? Okay, if we should, then I think you sort of heard the answer already. I mean, we should be involved in some way. Okay, we have some relation to politics, and the Bible speaks about politics. But uh, well, then how should we? you know, engage with the political world. And then what does the scripture say? You know, ultimately it comes back to what does the scripture say? And I hope that as we go through these, you can start connecting some of these concepts that we're talking about to uh, your questions. Okay. And I think many of you should be able to come up with your own answers. Certainly I'm happy to help out or others, Liju others can jump in as well. Okay. So, so, you know, uh, this is what we just, uh, we just talked about, right? So if you look at uh, the way that uh, that most people have looked at it, you know, there's, there's sort of a spectrum, right? Of what is the church's role in politics spectrum in terms of opinions, okay? We talk about opinions of people in the church, opinions of believers. Um, and, and as with every opinion that's on a spectrum, you sort of have two extremes and then you've got sort of the middle, right? So, you know, on the left side, you have this sort of one extreme, which is people who say, no, Nothing doing, okay, whoever uh, wrote that question, obviously this is what uh, what you learned or what taught, 
by by your church, by your parents, by other whoever you interacted with, that politics is not for the church. Okay. And the way that we uh, we deal with this is that we uh, we just sort of uh, say that uh, you know we are uh, so you know there is um, there are these presuppositions okay that people have uh, and um, um, you know and 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 uh, you know the so there's a there's a separatist position and then on on one side okay which says that no we should never be involved in the church right uh, and uh, you know sorry the church should never be involved in politics. Christians should never be involved in politics, and this is what uh, what people sing. And they, the way they they ask, uh, uh, the way that they address this is that you know, um, you know, uh, uh, how how can you you know, uh, you talk about uh, how can you say that you love God and yet talk about politics? Okay, uh, and then so that's sort of on one extreme, right? And then on the other extreme, you've got sort of the activist position, which sort of looks at it, you know, comes at it from the same direction, but gets to a different conclusion, which is that, you know, how can you say that you love God? How can you say that you're a Christian and yet not take a stand on political issues in the church, right? Isn't this important? These are important things, right? And how can you not take, uh, you know, take, take action? So, um, you know, and this, this sort of, there's sort of this battle going on, you know, if you look at right now, there's an election going on in the in the United States, you know, and people get very heated. Okay, in that country, uh, you know, especially over the years, the the the, the church, you know, you've they've sort of become very identified with with one side or the other, uh, wrongly, I believe. We'll we'll get to that later. Um, and so now you have the sort of a Christian right, and then you have a Christian left, and and they all emphasize different things, right? They may all be Christians, but they emphasize different aspects. Uh, uh, of uh, you know political issues, right? So, um, uh, so the question is, you know, can you say that you love God and still be involved in politics? Can you say that you love God and not be involved in politics? And these are these are sort of the the, the two extremes, right? So, so in this study, we've labeled them as on the one hand, the people on the left here, the separatists who say, no, you know, our job is to live our lives as Christians, you know, not get involved in politics. We focus on the spiritual things. You know, the church has no business in any of that church needs to mind its own business, you know, just focus on uh, teaching the word of God and all these things and, and have nothing to do with politics. And then there's the other one which says, you know, uh, you know, that doesn't make any sense. You know, God calls us to love people and to do show mercy and justice and all of these kind of things. And, and, and how can we not? That should be, you know, it, it is the role of the church to, to change society, right? So these all come from from two perspectives of uh, our calling, right? One says that, you know, we have to change society and make it more like what God wants it to be. And the other says, no, we have to focus on ourselves, right? Our own lives and become more like what God wants it to be. Now, both of these have a certain, uh, I would say a germ of truth in them, but both, anytime you go to the extremes on any uh, aspect of doctrine, uh, applying doctrine to life, uh, you know, the extremes always you know, general principle, okay, general principles, extremes tend to be wrong. Okay, so the truth is somewhere in the middle, as uh, as we're going to find out. So we've got to look at what does scripture say, um, you know, um, and, uh, and and how should we, uh, you know, how should we approach it, right? So, so let's look at these two aspects and just try to understand uh, uh, them a little bit, right? Uh, so first of all, you know, you have these separatists, right? So I'll just go to the next slide. 
um, and the separatist position is this. It says that any subject or issue that is directly uh, linked to the ch- that that is directly or indirectly political should never be talked about in the church. Okay, we just explain that. And 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 every position that somebody has has certain presuppositions. Okay, so uh, so the first presupposition here is is that you know that uh, there is a distinction. Okay, between the sacred and the secular. That's what uh, you know. I was just uh, explaining uh, a little while ago, and uh, you know, and people try to bring about this distinction and say that um, you know uh, uh, that that uh, the sacred is sacred, the spiritual stuff is spiritual, and the secular is secular, right? Um, and uh, and and never the two should meet. Okay, so so faith is a private thing, right? It's a private issue. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're out there in the world, politics and all these other things, they're secular things, and uh, the two shouldn't come together, they shouldn't cross, they shouldn't intersect. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, and that's, that's the way that that's one presupposition, right? So obviously, when you have that presupposition, it naturally leads to a separatist position. Okay. The second one is that, um, is, um, is that people have sort of an objection to, uh, you know, in this day and age, we have an objection to intolerance. Okay, what what we mean by that is that, uh, you know, we have gone from what is a pluralistic society to pluralism. Okay, so what is what is the difference between pluralistic and pluralism? Pluralistic, uh, you know, means that, um, um, you know, that, uh, uh, sorry, pluralistic uh, means that every idea, right, uh, you know, a pluralistic society is based on it's everyone has a right to champion uh, their idea and to say that this is right. Okay. And what I believe is right and true, but let's talk about it and let the best ideas and truth win out. Right. So, so it's a pluralistic society is one where people have different ideas, right. Which is natural. Everybody has different ideas about different things, but you know, we committed to discussing it and understanding it and synthesizing and, and 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 exploring the truth of it pluralism is slightly different it basically means that uh, you know you say that every idea has equal value okay so your idea if you think that it's right it's sort of very post post modern okay and it's very um, you know um, um, not very objective right so so it's it's sort of very subjective thing right and it says that every idea has exactly equal value so for you to say, for you to have one view, and this is in the context of politics, right? For you to have one view and me to have another view, and for you to say that I'm wrong and you're right is, uh, is very intolerant, right? And when you bring this into the church, um, you know, it creates problems, okay? You're making the other person feel uncomfortable with your intolerance, okay? By being dogmatic about this position or that position from a political point of view. And so they object to that. And if you have this presupposition, then obviously you say, you know what, let's not even talk about that. Okay, that's too controversial. That's too, um, you know, uh, unnecessary. It's a, it's a secular thing. We don't need to address that in the church. Okay, so that's that's another reason why people may hold this position. The third one, which again I saw in the uh, in the question and uh, in the Q and A, and it sort of reflected. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't see that there. But basically that question, it sort of says, you know what, we are burned out, you know, politics is corrupt, the, the leaders are corrupt. Uh, and this is typically true among the young, young people, right? They get very tired of it. Okay, we've been through a lot of presidents, we've been through a lot of prime ministers, a lot of parties, 
and all all these people do is talk. You know, we've been through local politics, and uh, all the governments are corrupt. And when you, uh, you know, when you peel back the onion, I don't care which party it is; it doesn't do any good. Okay, so my vote doesn't matter, right? Whether I vote or not, it doesn't matter. These, uh, you know, both parties have got corrupt people, and so people have this kind of a presupposition, and then they conclude, you know what? We just shouldn't get involved in politics at all. Okay, so those are just for to help us understand the uh, separatist position. All right, um, and and what 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 is sort of driving that position? So now let's go turn over to the activist position. So what is the activist position? So the activist position is all the way at the other extreme. If you remember that that continuum. Okay, so what does it say? It says that the church is a tool in the hand of God. Okay, and the church is a tool to do what? To turn a secular culture back to God. Okay, and so it must exert vocal and active support for candidates and issues and laws that bring our government and our culture in line with biblical values. So this is sort of a position that an activist position which says that you know what it is our job as the church, as members of the church, universal. Okay, to actually go and change society, right? And so we got to get behind these issues. We got to make sure that that we are uh, uh, we are uh, you know taking activist positions and doing things and agitating and doing all of these things to make sure that the laws are aligned with uh, biblical uh, principles. Okay, and this is a big part. This is the sort of the big um, uh, you know uh, presupposition of the position that. The so-called Christian right in the in the U.S. and the Christian left, for that matter, they just happen to have different views of what uh, what exactly it means to uh, you know bring our government culture in line with biblical values. Okay, one emphasizes certain issues, the other emphasizes a different set of issues, but they both hold activist positions on different sides of the political spectrum. Okay, and um, and and what are some of the presuppositions behind these? Okay, number one is that. This, this presupposition that you know that the nation okay and and this is uh, some of these things are, are very American but but I guess they could apply to other countries as well but but there's a belief that you know the nation nation has a covenant relationship with God all right uh, you know not just that there are Christians who hold a biblical worldview but the nation itself okay the country itself has some kind of a covenant relationship with God much like Israel did with God, right? We know that Israel was God's covenant nation chosen by him, a people chosen and established on the earth, you know, to show his glory and all those kind of things, right? And so the point is that, you know, we have a covenant relationship with God uh, exactly like Israel or much like Israel. And so the goal of the church is to bring the nation back to God, okay? It's our, and so you will hear statements like, you know, we took prayer out of school uh, schools and therefore, you know, the country has been cursed or, you know, we ought to put prayer back in schools or because we are aborting all these children, therefore the nation is cursed. And, and you'll see a lot of those verses, right? The favorite verse of, the, of this group of people uh, is, um, is actually, uh, I think it's Second Chronicles chapter 7. And, uh, you know, some of our contemporary Christian songwriters have even written songs about this. Uh, some of you might know them, uh, but uh, but this is uh, uh, something that God tells Solomon uh, in uh, I think it's Second Chronicles seven fourteen probably yeah. So uh, uh, so this is where uh, where 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 Solomon is dedicating the temple right. So Solomon has built the temple and is dedicating the temple and 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 he has 
this prayer, he does, does a dedication. And then God appears to Solomon in, a night, in the night, in a dream. And he says in verse 12, Lord appeared to Solomon. He says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place, that is the temple, for myself as a house of sacrifice. Okay, then he says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Now, now to understand this, you've got to go back to the law. Okay, you've got to go back to the, the books of Moses where God is, is giving them the law and along with the law, he's giving the law to his covenant people, okay, to Israel. And along with that, he gives certain blessings and certain curses. And he says, you know, if you do all of these things, then here's the blessings that will come to you. You won't be a dead nation and, uh, and this and that. And you, your crops will, uh, will produce fruit, um, you know, harvest every year and, and, and you will not lack anything and, you know, all this kind of thing. And then he also says, you know, if you don't do these things, you know, if you disobey me, if you don't live by my commands, well, then guess what? Okay, I'm going to hold the reins and your crops won't grow and you won't have food and, and you'll be a deader nation and, and I'll send pestilence among you and you go into captivity. You, okay, when you as my people, my covenant people, you sin and I punish you, okay, I judge you, I send judgment upon you. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Okay, now, now people use this verse to, you know, in, in the United States, especially today, to say that, oh, we need to get now, again, you know, I'm not saying we should pray for the nation, but if we all get down, if all the Christians get down and, and on their knees and they pray and all these things that they use this verse to say that, um, you know, that God will heal our land, he'll heal our hand, land of all its evil and all the uh, the abortion and the injustice and all this, this and that and the other, you know, but, but honestly, when you look at this, you know, what you look at the context, that's, that's a perfect example of plucking something out of context and misapplying it. Okay. America is not God's covenant nation. Okay. India is not God's covenant. No country on earth today is God's covenant nation, right? Uh, this, this is a covenant made. The only covenant nation that God has is Israel. Okay. And we believe he's going to restore Israel and all that later, but, Let's not go there now. That's a different topic for a different subject. But nevertheless, this promise here that he's given is to his people, Israel. Okay. Now, does it mean that we shouldn't pray? Of course not. There are other commands which we look at later that say what we should do, what the church should do. Okay. But, but it's certainly not the case that, that you know, America or, or England or, um, you know, or uh, India or any other country is God's covenant nation and therefore you know, it is our job to, um, uh, you know, to, uh, to go and, and make the culture sort of in line. That's not our real mandate. Okay, we'll come to what our mandate is. Okay, and then, um, uh, so that's, that's the presupposition. So the second presupposition that the activist people have is that, uh, you know, moral and cultural change is the primary mandate of the church. Okay, and the political process is one of the primary ways to achieve it. So again, it's sort of related to that, right? So, so the nation belongs to God. And therefore, we have to implement God's mandate or God's agenda on the earth, right? And, and therefore, that means we've got to bring about moral and cultural change. We need people to live moral lives. Uh, and I'm not saying we don't, but this is just their position, okay? And the primary way to achieve that is by political change, by controlling the political process, by making sure that there's a Christian, a person with Christian values as the president or the prime minister or, or 
in India, we don't quite go that far because it's probably impossible for a Christian to get there because we're a minority. But nevertheless, we look for people with certain values who would be favorable to Christian. The next best thing to having a Christian is somebody who is favorable to Christians, right? Or Christian values. So that's one presupposition that leads to an activist position. And the third one is that, you know, is that um, uh, when the church, that is the church, um, you know, together, right? The, the church as a, as a body, okay, as a local body, when the church comes together, the official teaching of the church, okay, and the practice of individual Christians, okay, uh, is, uh, you know, that what, that that is what should be taught from the pulpit, okay, that the calling of the church, the teaching, the preaching, and of Indian, of individual Christians are exactly the same, okay, what, what we mean by this, and we'll come back to this point, it's, it's very important, okay, is that when we are gathered together, okay, we should have an official position on all of these matters, okay, and, and everybody in the church, all Christians should follow that position, okay, so, they, so, so this kind of a presupposition, again, leads to an activist position, all right, so, so that, I, I hope you get the sense of these two positions, and of course, uh, you know, when you're on a continuum, there's, you know, people who are not quite at the extreme of activism and not quite at the extreme of, uh, um, you know, separation, sep uh, you know, uh, and, and, and there are some sort of at various points along that, right? Some are a little less separatist and more activist and so on. So, so now that we, we've seen this, what, what does that mean? So we need to, with this context, let's go look at, um, you know, what does the scripture really say? Okay, so as with anything, we need to come back to scripture so we're going to look at four absolutes from scripture. I'm just going to outline them here and then we'll talk about each one. Okay? I don't know how many of these we'll get through, but we'll try to get through all four. Okay. Number one, there are two kingdoms. Okay, so in our current existence, there are two kingdoms, distinct kingdoms that are in conflict. All right. That's, that's absolute from scripture. Number one, we'll see where it is from scripture in a minute. Number two, okay. Every believer has dual citizenship. You have citizenship in heaven. You know, Philippians chapter three, and you have citizenship on the earth. So, you know, most of us here on this call, you are, you know, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, uh, you know, a believer, Christian, whatever you want to call it. And you are also a citizen of India. Okay. In my case, I'm a citizen of America. Maybe I have, I have triple citizenship you know, because I'm an overseas citizen of India as well. So, so there's, there's, there's more than one citizenship here, right? So there's earthly and heavenly. That's what we mean by the, the dual. Okay. Number three, absolute from scripture number three is the purpose of human government. So scripture teaches us that human governments are ordained by God for a purpose. And that purpose is to restrain evil. Okay. Now think back to the positions that we just talked about, right? Uh, you know, the, the absolute and the, uh, the separatist, right? The, 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 the activist, sorry, and the separatist. Uh, and how, you know, one of the things that drove activism is that, you know, it's a job of, uh, of the church to, um, you know, to bring about moral change, right? Or, or the job of government to bring about moral change in people. Okay. But when you look at scripture, as we'll see in a few minutes here, you know, God gives, says that he's ordained all the rulers. This is in Romans 13. We'll come to it shortly. Okay. But they have a purpose and that is to restrain evil. Okay. That's the purpose that God has ordained for human government. Okay, number four, absolute from scripture is that the church has a purpose, okay, and it is to 
you know, the church is ordained by God for the purpose of making disciples. All right, we'll talk about what that means. Okay, now making disciples does not mean, you know, what we just saw, okay, which is that, uh, you know, bring about moral and cultural change in the world. So you can see where we are going with this because some of these, these absolute from scripture directly contradict the presuppositions behind uh, these, uh, these two sort of extreme positions okay, on, on, on the church and politics or the Christian and politics. But let's, let's, you know, let's delve into it. Let's, uh, let's uh, look at each one of these. Okay? So the first principle is this, okay, that there are two kingdoms in conflict. Okay? And, uh, and what are these two kingdoms? So we have to understand this. Okay? So first of all, there is a concrete temporal kingdom. That is the kingdom on earth, the earthly kingdom that we live in. Now that kingdom is obviously split up into nationalities and countries and regions and all these kind of things. Okay. Uh, and we, we all understand what that is, right? So, so there's a temporal earthly concrete kingdom, one that actually exists, right? It's got a form, uh, it's got a structure, it's got a system of government. Some of them are, are, are um, democracies, some of them are republics, some of them are uh, something in between, some of them are, uh, you know, parliamentary, some of them are presidential, some of them are uh, dictatorships, you know, uh, or ruled by one party, some of them are one party, multi-party, all these different things. But, but all of these, you know, the, 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 the earthly temporal kingdom is very concrete, it's very defined, it's got borders, right? It's got laws, it's got, you know, all of these structures uh, and, uh, and we understand that, okay? But at the same time, on the earth, there is a spiritual uh, and eternal kingdom that Jesus came to the earth to establish, okay, to build, to establish and to build. And this is an ongoing thing. So Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom of love and justice that will ultimately be consummated when he returns. So this is a work in progress. Okay, when Jesus came, uh, you know, this is what the gospel is about, right? So, so I, wa- I want us to just look at a few verses and, uh, you know, very plainly look at what scripture says. So uh, if you can turn in your Bibles to Mark, Gospel of Mark. And, uh, you know, the Gospel of Mark is, is uh, you know, it tells us, uh, you know, it starts off like this, right? Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's saying, okay, this is the beginning of the Gospel. What is the Gospel? It's a good news. Who's good news? Right? The good news of Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. All right? And then, and then Jesus goes on to say, uh, so when we come down to verse 14, Okay, it says, after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. You know, whenever you use the term John the Baptist, you know, people, uh, people think that he was like a Baptist, like a Baptist denomination. Um, you know, but uh, of course, there were no Baptists back then. Uh, so after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. And, and he came to Galilee, and what did he do? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. So, so we know that if you read the gospels, you know, the four gospels, especially the synoptic gospels. Uh, and by the way, I, I really encourage, I'm not, I'm not plugging here for truth and life necessarily, but um, I listened to the, um, the uh, podcast with, um, uh, gosh, sorry, I, I forgot the doctor's name. Daryl Bach. Uh, Bach, thank you. Um, the, the, Dr. Daryl Bach, who's like a real scholar. And, and he was really, you know, it was very useful to me to just to, to understand, you know, the, the message of, of, the, of Jesus in the Gospels, right? 
but basically the message of jesus in the gospel was is about the kingdom okay from the moment jesus started teaching he speaks about the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom and you have the kingdom parables and you have the manifesto of the kingdom which we'll look at in a second and he came and the gospel is about what the gospel is the uh, he started preaching what did he preach he preached the gospel of the kingdom of god and he said okay and saying what did he say okay latter part of verse 14 the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel okay repent and believe in the good news so what is the good news obviously it's what he's just said right what is that what did he just say the time is fulfilled the time has come and the kingdom of god is at hand the kingdom of god is near the kingdom of god is here okay the king of this new kingdom has arrived on the earth in the form of man that's me jesus christ right uh, and uh, repent okay i want you all to repent whoever is listening to me repent of your sins and believe in this good news what good news the good news that the kingdom of god has arrived okay the kingdom of god is near right um, so that is basically the gospel that jesus ha- has announced here right and then he goes on throughout scripture uh, so if you come to john 18 which is sort of near the end of jesus earthly life right before he before he's uh, crucified uh, and john 18 verse 36 he comes back to the steam and this is uh, where he's standing before pilate okay um and he says uh, john 1836 my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of the world of this world my servants would fight so that i should not be delivered to the jews but now my kingdom is not from here so he's saying you know what my kingdom is different okay pilate you the governor of judea the roman governor governor ruler of a part of the roman kingdom right so pilate and all these guys they understood the concept of the kingdom right um you know you what you need to understand is that my kingdom is not of this world it is a different kingdom it is a heavenly kingdom and he says because if i was if my kingdom was of this world then you know my subjects my servants what would they do they would rise up and fight just as rome goes and fights anybody that attacks them right um, and i would not be delivered uh, you know to the jews but now my kingdom is not from here and then he goes on uh, if you go to chapter 19 um uh the next chapter verse 10 and 11 uh you know again this conversation with pilate continues and pilate said to him and this is where jesus is keeping quiet right he doesn't answer pilate asks him some questions he doesn't answer and jesus says uh, pilate says to him are you not speaking to me do you not know that i have power to crucify you and power to release you so he's saying he's saying to jesus uh, you know why are you being quiet okay don't you know who i am don't you know that i have power don't you know that i have power to release you and i have power to kill you okay and then jesus what does he do jesus answers verse 11 you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above therefore the one who delivered to me is greater than, uh, therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin so he says look uh, you know and and here he sort of uh, you know sort of pooping pilots uh, claim of authority and power here he says uh, you know what and jesus told him right that i'm the king of this kingdom it's not a kingdom of this world and he say uh, you know what unless this power had been given to you by who by god my father right uh, you know god my father uh, then you would not have had this power right it's been something that's given to you it's not something that uh, that 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 you have on your own 
Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. So he says, the people who delivered me to you, they, you know, they, they are the ones who are the sinners, the real sinners here, right? Because you've been given the power and whatever you decide to do is, is you know, is, is under the authority of God. Uh, but the point here that Jesus is making is that, uh, is that these two kingdoms are in conflict, right? So, um, you know, the two kingdoms are in conflict with each other uh, and the two kingdoms do not get along and they are, they are sort of, you know, uh, in terms of their principles and in terms of the way they work, and in terms of their philosophies, you know, it's, uh, they are two very different kingdoms. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus says, he's a king. Pilate says, I've got authority. And Jesus says, no, you don't have authority unless, you know, you have it from above. Right. And, uh, you know, if we were not given to you by my father. Right. And, uh, uh, and, and, and so this conversation goes on. So what's the bottom line here is that, is that you and I, we as followers of Christ, we are living in these two kingdoms. Okay. And these two kingdoms in which we are currently living are at conflict with each other, right? And I just want to go back so that we understand a little bit about, about the kingdom of, uh, of God, right? So when you look at, um, uh, you know, the, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, um, you know, some, uh, you know, these uh, sometimes people try to say that they're different, but they're really not. Uh, I don't see any, any justification for teaching that they're different. They're sort of two terms representing the same thing, right? So I, I, I mentioned that Jesus came into the world you know, to announce the gospel of the kingdom, right? The, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then, you know, he goes on in uh, Matthew chapter four, you know, where, uh, uh, wherever he goes, okay, wherever Jesus goes, he's preaching the kingdom. So Matthew four twenty three, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So what did he do? He went to Galilee, he taught in their synagogues and what did he preach? He preached the good news or the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. And then he goes on seeing the multitude, chapter 5. He went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and so, so Jesus here is giving the manifesto of the kingdom, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and his kingdom is a very different kingdom from the kingdom of the world. right? So, um, so it's worth looking, just pausing and looking at that. How was it upside down? Okay. Um, first of all, you find that whatever he talks about goes completely against. So Jesus is saying here that if you are in my kingdom or the way that things work in the kingdom of heaven, okay, is that, you know, uh, it belongs to the people who are poor in spirit, right? It belongs to the people who mourn. It belongs to the people who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, it belongs to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, it belongs to the merciful. So people who are just and, and, and merciful and loving and kind and poor in spirit and, uh, and, and hunger and thirst after righteousness, these are the, the, this, this, this is, this is, these are the qualities that characterize the citizens of my kingdom. Okay? And this is very different than you think about the world. You know, who are the rulers of the worldly kingdom? You know, the people with the power and the pride and the, the might and the, the strength and all of these kind of things, right? And... Um, you know, he goes on, you are the salt of the earth. And, and, and just to pick one example, okay, you come to, um, you know, to, to, to sexual immorality and sin. Okay? Now, everybody, you know, in the earthly kingdom and the heavenly kingdom, they, they all recognize that, you know, there are certain things that are not acceptable. Okay? They're, they're sinful, even though they may not, they may have relativistic standards. 
take rape for example okay so you know our earthly kingdoms how do they deal with rape okay they they pass laws right they pass a law that says that if you rape then it's a certain kind of a crime and uh, you know and then it's got you know if you're convicted of that then you know you're punished in this way maybe it's life in prison or, or whatever right um, and uh, and that's what that's that's how the earthly kingdoms try to deal with it, right they pass laws to try to control the behavior with the hope that you know the the behavior will change because there are punitive laws against that behavior okay but but what does jesus say in my in his kingdom yeah rape is wrong okay but not only does he say that you know and this is why you say it's an upside down kingdom okay he's not just talking about behavior he's talking about changes in your heart okay so that's why he says you know what in my kingdom i'm not just looking at changing your behavior okay i'm not just legislating against rape or sexual immorality or uh, you know sex trafficking or or whatever these bad 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 things that everybody regardless of religion and belief believes are bad okay um, you know and, and they say we should have laws against it you know what does jesus say in, in matthew 5:28 okay you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery but i say unto you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart he says i'm not here in my kingdom the issue is not just your behavior and your actions but it's about what's in your heart it's about lust right and i want to remove lust and if you are a, if you are a member of my uh, you know a citizen of my kingdom okay the kingdom of heaven you know you need to deal with the lust in your heart okay it's not just enough that that you are a, a good person who obeys the laws and doesn't go and rape anybody and doesn't do sexually immoral things you know like child trafficking and and whatever right um, but you are you need to be somebody who doesn't even look at a woman to lust right and so so he 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 elevates the standard uh, to basically make the point that if you are a citizen of my kingdom okay it's a very different kingdom right and there are certain standards and they're far above and they're far different you know where uh, where you know and, and and you can i can just keep going on with this but talks about retaliation right you know in your kingdom so you know when you look at the laws of the earthly kingdom it's all about tit for tat or it's it's sort of punishment that fits the crime right so if somebody uh, you know wrongs you then he has to pay restitution to you and uh, you know make it up and all but what does he say whoever Matthew 5:39 whoever slaps you on the right cheek turn the other to him if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic let him have your cloak also and whoever compels you to go one mile go with him too give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away so he's saying you know again my kingdom is characterized by love and humility okay that's why i say here yeah, it's an upside down kingdom it's 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 very different right so it's love and humility that are predominant not the kind of things that are predominant in the earthly kingdom right so so these are two very different kingdoms they are two kingdoms that are philosophically very very different from each other uh, and uh, and they are in conflict right uh, and and the challenge that we have as christians is that we have to live in both of these kingdoms okay until the king returns okay and he vanquishes the earthly kingdom and 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 we just have the heavenly kingdom or the kingdom of god remaining okay uh, then uh, these two are going to be in conflict so how do we live in these two kingdoms and that's where we get to the next uh, concept which is this concept of dual citizenship right and we know uh, philippians 320 you know our citizenship is in heaven 
So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is building the spiritual kingdom of love and justice. And that will ultimately be consummated when he returns. Right. And, and Jesus lays out these principles when he says to uh, this dual citizenship concept very clearly in Mark 12, 13 to 17. You guys know the story. You know, the Pharisees try to trap him. They bring a coin, Pharisees and their, uh, the scribes. You know, they're actually like opposing parties. Okay, They're like the, uh, the, the right wing and the left wing of the day. Okay? They don't agree on anything, but they realize that, you know what, this guy Jesus is going to ruin all of us. So let's get together and let's go and trap him. So they come to him thinking they're going to trick him. Uh, and, and they ask me, you know, who do we pay taxes to? Do we, you know, do we pay to God or uh, you know, do we pay to man? Right? And Jesus, of course, understands what they're trying to do. And he understands their hypocrisy. And he asks them to bring a coin. And he says, whose inscription is it on it? He says, it's Caesar's. So he says, okay, well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Okay, so Jesus sort of, uh, you know, turns the tables on them. Uh, and uh, they're, they're befuddled and they don't know what to say, right? So, so what is the principle we can draw from this? That the Christian is to be faithful to our citizenship in heaven and faithful to our citizenship on earth, to the earthly government of which we are subject, okay? So this is what we mean by dual citizenship, okay? You are living under the laws of an earthly kingdom, okay? We are obligated, you know, if they say you want to pay taxes, we pay taxes. If they say you have to not speed, you shouldn't speed. If they say, you know, you have to... Um, uh, avoid certain kinds of behavior or, or follow some instructions, you know, like we have now during the pandemic, you're supposed to do this and don't do that. You know, we are obligated to follow those orders in general. Okay. We'll get to some, some, some case, special cases later. Uh, but we have to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, things that belong to the government, earthly government, we render to them. And the things that belong to God, we render to God. Right. So we have to be faithful to a government okay, because we are, dual citizens, right? And, uh, and so, yes, we have obligations to the government. Okay? We can't, we can't uh, get away from that, right? So, so I think this should be a, a, a very clear point. Uh, so when we look at this, you know, how, can, how, how is this possible, right? And obviously presents a certain, um, uh, a certain level of complication here because very often we are called to be faithful to an evil government. So a lot of the questions we have are around, you know, the, the government we have, in India today and how uh, governments are passing laws, uh, you know, uh, allowing homosexuality and they're passing laws that might be against uh, Christians and, and all of these kind of things, right? Um, you know, uh, so how, how can we be faithful to an evil government? What does the Bible say about this? Okay, when there's so much corruption, you know, the politicians are corrupt, the government is corrupt, there are so many problems, nothing seems to be getting solved. Well, uh, you know, we come to principle number three. Okay, and that is that uh, human governments are ordained by God to restrain evil. Okay, so we find this very, very clearly articulated in Romans chapter 13. And, uh, and, and, and remember, just to give a little context here, uh, if you're not familiar with it, this is being written to the Christians, okay, who are in Rome. And these were Christians who had been severely, who were being severely persecuted. So Paul is sending them this, this sort of letter, telling them something. And, and not only have they been persecuted, but they've been driven uh, out of Rome in two batches. And, and they've been condemned and, and going through severe, severe persecution. Many of them have been put to death. Okay. And, and they have, you know, Caesar, Tiberius, whoever, the Nero, whoever the emperors at the time, very wicked and evil people, okay, uh, rulers. 
who are throwing the Christians to the lions and all these kind of things. Okay, you've heard all the stories. And, and what, does, what does Paul say? He says, let every soul, I'm in Romans 13, one, let every soul be subject to the earth governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Okay, so be subject to the earthly government. Why? Because every authority is ordained by God. Okay, and then he goes on. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authority, whoever, whoever rebels against the authority, resists the ordinance of God. You're rebelling against an authority that God has put in place. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Okay, so, so it's very clear here. If you resist, okay, the human government that God has placed over you, you bring judgment on yourself. Now, we'll talk a little later about what, what it means by resisting and when it might be okay to have certain kinds of resistance and all that. But, but the general principle is this, okay, human governments are ordained. And then it goes on to say why they are ordained. They're ordained by God and we have to be subject to them. Okay, however bad they are. So it doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein, who is a governor, the, the, the ruler or Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump, who, who uh, you know, I would have never voted for, but he's ordained by God. Okay? He won an election and he's the president of the United States. Okay, so it doesn't matter whether I like him or don't like him, you know, um, you know I have to be subject to him, to his government. Um, so he resists the authority, uh, then you bring judgment on yourself. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Um, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same for he is God. So he tells us here who he being the, the authority, the governor, uh, the ruler is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And remember, you know, when I talked about uh, my message from Habakkuk, you know, last week I said, you know, God uses the bad guys. Okay, and the bad nations to bring judgment on his people. Okay, uh, again, it's not for us to, to, to take every case and say, is this God's judgment or not God's judgment? But, but this, this uh, passage here is speaking to, you know, people who probably were Jews who had become Christians and they would understand this. You know, just as he sent Nebuchadnezzar, okay, and the Babylonians as judgment, okay, he is a minister to an avenger, God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So he's saying, not only because he might be bringing God's wrath on you and on the people around you, but, you know, for your own conscience to be clear. Okay. For because of this, you also pay taxes. So go back to that point on taxes, for they are God's ministers attending con continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, Custom to whom customs, uh, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And then interestingly, he goes into, you know, owe no one anything except to love one another. So he's coming back into the kingdom. So again, Paul is talking here. So, so remember, we are all part of the kingdom, right? And what he's telling here in this passage is how do we as citizens of God's kingdom, okay? Remember, we are, we are citizens of God's kingdom and citizens of the earthly kingdom. So we have a dual citizenship but you're different than all the other citizens of the earthly kingdom okay of the government the earthly kingdom uh, because they don't have dual citizenship okay but because you have a different citizenship a dual citizenship okay you have to act a certain way and that is according to the teachings of jesus and in fact you know 
just to just to go on a little bit of a tangent, there are those who teach wrongly, I believe, um, you know, that uh, the, the Matthew 5, 6, and 7, these are, uh, this is the teaching of the kingdom of God, which hasn't come yet, and, and therefore it doesn't apply to us. That's, uh, you know, that's not a, a biblically justifiable position because everything that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 talks about, you know, it's talked about in the epistles as well. So here, Paul talks about, you know, love, loving one another and fulfilling the law and all these kind of things, right? Not committing adultery, you know, so he quotes Jesus, right? And the commandments uh, in verse nine. So I'm not going to go there, but the point I'm making is that, yes, all of that stuff applies to us. As citizens of the godly kingdom, it needs to influence the way we behave in the earthly kingdom. Okay, so the behavior of the heavenly citizen you know, in his earthly sphere as a citizen of the earthly kingdom needs to be very different than, than the people around us. Okay, I, hope, I hope that point is clear. Okay, but the point here is that it's, a, it's an absolute in scripture that human governments are ordained by God to restrain evil. And it doesn't say anything there about the government changing hearts and bringing about major cultural change. Okay, it doesn't say that that's the job of the government. Now, of course, governments want to do that you know, and they, they make attempts to that, but frankly, they all fail. Okay. And there are questions. I saw some questions about uh, communism and capitalism and all these. So these are all man-made systems. Okay. That, that emanate from a fallen human nature. Okay. None of them is perfect. All of them are trying to achieve something that they can never achieve. All right. Which is to, to change, uh, you know, human beings or make human beings do certain things, which they're never going to do unless their hearts are changed. Okay, so that's why every one of these systems has got flaws. Now you can argue over which one is better or which one is relatively better. And, and we have experience in history to see, uh, you know, what does a certain political philosophy typically lead to? Uh, but, you know, you take capitalism. Uh, yeah, okay, it produces a lot of things, but it also produces a lot of evil. Okay, it produces greed. It produces lack of compassion for the poor. Uh, it produces selfishness. It thrives on selfishness. Okay, so it is not, you know, so for, for even for Christians who promote capitalism, uh, you know, to the extent that, that everything else is evil. Okay, communism is evil. Marxism is evil. You know, only capitalism is righteous and holy. That's all rubbish. Okay, it's, it's not, not scriptural. All right, because again, uh, what is the principle of the earthly kingdom? Okay, it is the principle of, of love. Okay, it's an upside down kingdom where love and humility predominate, right? And, and of course, that kind of a, a rule can only exist within the, within the kingdom. And it, it is supposed to be there. That's what we are supposed to be living out, right? Uh, and we'll come to that in the next point. So how, you know, how will the world have justice, love and equality? Okay, if it's not the job of the government to bring this about, you know, uh, well, how does it come about? Okay, well, there you go. Number four, Okay, what is the church ordained to do? The church is ordained by God to make disciples. Okay, so who are disciples? Disciples are followers of Jesus who, who do on earth what Jesus did when he was on earth. So disciples are followers of Jesus. So remember, Matthew 28, 18, 20, the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world, okay, and uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then what do you say? Teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. And by the way, that includes Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? And all these other things that Jesus taught, okay? So who are disciples? Disciples are people who have Jesus living inside of them, and they are acting accordingly in every arena, 
Okay, so the church is to be salt and light. The church is to show the people of the world what the kingdom looks like, what kingdom life looks like, right? So if you, um, you know, I, I encourage you to go and study all the parables, okay? Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's very clear that the kingdom parables, okay, in Matthew, uh, you know, Matthew 13, all those, you know, the, the, the soils, the three soils and all those kind of things, right? The, 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 the different kind of soils and the crops and the parable of the tares and all these things, commonly known as the kingdom parables. And, and you know, what, what that tells us is that we are all in the world today. In the world, you have the kingdom of God and you have the kingdom of men or the kingdom of the earth. Right? And you have the sons of the kingdom of God and sons of the kingdom of life. And that's why you see like the parable of the wheat and the tares. They are both growing up together. Okay, God wants us to go and infiltrate as, as disciples. Okay? We have to infiltrate every area. We are like send out a spice. Infiltrators sound like a bad thing, but in this sense, it's a good thing. We have to go and live the life of the kingdom. We have to practice the things of the kingdom in all spheres of our life. Okay, and uh, whether that's in our work, in our, um, you know, in our jobs, in, in, in our personal lives, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in, in society, you know, we have to do what Jesus told us to do, you know. Uh, you know, there was that, that big thing, you know, that uh, fray, the uh, trend that was going on many years ago, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? People wearing bracelets and all that, okay? It's not about wearing bracelets, it's actually going and living those things, right? That's what... We are supposed to do. We are supposed to, and you know, he talks about the mustard seed, okay? It's like a mustard seed that's planted, a small seed. And the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed that's planted. And then it, it grows and it, it grows out and then it fills the whole, uh, you know, it becomes a big tree and the birds of the air, they find shelter in it, okay? We have to be like that. We have to go into a small area. We have to do the works that Jesus told us to do. We have to be salt and light. We have to be a leaven that leavens a whole lump. And then, you know, when people see that, then they are drawn towards it. And then more people are added to the kingdom. Okay, now we get more dual citizens. So our job is to make, take these people who are citizens of the earthly kingdom and make them also citizens of the heavenly kingdom. That's what disciples are supposed to do. Okay? That's supposed to, what's supposed to happen when we live as disciples. The problem is, you know, we don't live that way, right? Uh, and so we subvert this, this goal. So I, I'm sort of getting a little passionate about this stuff. But so I hope, I hope the point uh, but I hope you understand those four principles okay so so let me just go back to the four principles okay there are two kingdoms in conflict the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man or earthly kingdom every believer has citizenship in both of these and we are now coexisting okay a day is coming when the king returns and he he consummates his kingdom and he will do away with the other one right and 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 we will not be dual citizens anymore Okay, human governments are ordained by God for the purpose of restraining evil, not to change hearts. The church is ordained by God to make disciples. Okay, so we are ordained by God to make disciples who will then bring people into the kingdom. They come into the kingdom and their hearts are changed, right? And there's more and more of this happening. You will see that impact, obviously, in society. That's why, you know, when you do, it is a fact that certain countries that, that have their laws founded on biblical principles and the principles of Christ, you know, if they follow that, they will get some benefits of it, right? But, um, but that's, but, and you can see that as they go away uh, from that, you know, they start seeing problems that, that result from that. That's, that's absolutely the case. But, uh, you know, it is not, uh, it is not the job, uh, you know, it is not our job to make the government do what the church 
is supposed to do, okay, what the citizens of the kingdom are supposed to do. So now how do we apply this, uh, this to scripture, okay? So very quickly I'll finish this and then, uh, you know, we probably have to do the questions uh, uh, next week. Uh, but I hope you're getting some theology here to help you to address some of those questions on your own. Um, so three principles, okay, or three, uh, three ways to apply it. Number one, let the church be the church. Okay, we'll, we'll explain what that is. Number two, don't expect government to achieve what only the church can accomplish. Number three, don't expect the church to accomplish what only individual believers can achieve. All right, let's look at each of those. Let's unpack them one by one. Let the church be the church. So the church's goal uh, as a composite body, that is when we come together, when we're talking about the church here, I'm not talking about the individual members, but the church as a body, okay, uh, is what? Is to exalt Christ and preach, teach, and model the message of redemption. Okay? It's not to be involved in politics. All right. So, so we have, we have uh, uh, three things here. Okay. How do we do that? All right. How do we exalt Christ and how do we preach, teach and model the message of redemption? Uh, number one, we pray. All right. So first Timothy two. Uh, and this is very interesting. We all probably know this, um, but, but pay attention carefully to it. It says, therefore, okay. Paul is writing to Timothy. I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Verse two, for Kings and all who are in authority, okay, all the rulers, that, what, why, what, what do we pray for? Do we pray that they should uh, implement Christian policies? Do we pray that they should, uh, you know, pass a tax cut? Do we pray that they should uh, pass laws against abortion? What do we pray for? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Okay, so we, that, uh, and then it goes on. Uh, you know, to say, uh, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so so what should we pray for? We should pray that that they will maintain a, so, uh, an environment where we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, a peaceable life for what? Okay, well, it goes on to say, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What truth? The truth of the kingdom. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due, in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and so on, right? So, so we are to bring the truth of the kingdom to them. And for that, we need to pray for a peaceful environment that allows us to do that. Okay, we're not to pray for, uh, you know, that this party will win or that party will win whatever, but we, we, the prayer should be for anybody who's in authority, whoever wins the elections, right, and uh, whoever is in power, that they may um, that, that they may rule in such a way that we, okay, we the church, okay, the, the citizens of the kingdom, believers, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence so that we may be able to live a godly life, alright, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires that all men to be saved. So we should, yeah, we should pray for their saving all. We should pray that they may come to the knowledge of the truth. We should pray that they may be guided by the truth of God's word, these rulers, okay? But we should pray for their salvation because ultimately, you know, that's how they become, you know, part of the kingdom of God, right? That, that's the, that's the, the ultimate job, you know, of the church and of believers in the church is to make disciples, right? By bringing them, ushering them into the 
kingdom of God. Okay, secondly, we are to preach and teach the truth of God's word so that God's people are informed and have a biblical worldview. So, so again, what is this about? Go back to the kingdom life, right? We are to, we are to um, teach the word of God from cover to cover, right? What does the word of God say about the kingdom life? What does the word of God say about how believers are to live? What does the, God, the word of God say about love and justice and humility and righteousness and and, and serving the poor and serving the church and showing our love to society and the downtrodden all. Yes, we should teach all that. Why? Because that's how you're making disciples, right? That's how, um, you know, that's how you're preparing people to go out into the world to be salt and light. Okay. So, uh, you know, and, and, and the thing is that, uh, you know, very often, um, um, you know, we, uh, we as Christians, uh, you know, we, we, the, the point here is that we shouldn't be getting involved in politics per se, but, but the church shouldn't be getting involved in politics, but the church should be teaching believers to be better believers, teaching the citizens of the kingdom, uh, you know, how to live as better citizens of the kingdom in more, in, in more perfect obedience to the, the, the laws of the kingdom or the teaching of Jesus, right, um, in the world, okay, because we are dual citizens in in, in both uh, both kingdoms. Okay, so God is not looking for us to promote the Democrats or the Republicans or the BJP or the Congress or, or whoever. Okay, He's looking for us to teach each other. Okay, He's looking for the church to teach believers to be better disciples, to be more obedient disciples, to do exactly what He said we were supposed to do in the Great Commission. Okay, He's looking for children of God who understand that the world, these two worlds, will always be in conflict. And that you have dual citizenship and the government doesn't have the power to change the world but only restrain evil. But you have the power and the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference, right? So that's, uh, that's number two. The third thing is we have to model truth and justice and righteousness. Okay? We have to model it out as a church, as individual believers in the world. So look at Acts chapter 2. Okay? We find the early church modeling this out. And how, how did they do that? Uh, so remember... You know, this was, uh, again, under the Roman government, there was a tremendous amount of injustice going on. The, the people were being uh, oppressed. So you remember, you know, like uh, Charles spoke about Levi or Matthew, the, uh, the tax collector, right? How, how he would go and oppress the poor people and collect extra taxes so that they could line their, their, their pockets and, and all these kind of things, right? So, um, uh, so here we see in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in, uh, sorry, let me go back to verse 40. Many with, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from the perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So 3,000 souls were added into the kingdom of God, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, okay, oneness, unity, and they had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods. And so there were people being oppressed. There were poor people who couldn't, who couldn't meet their daily needs. So what did they do? They sold their possessions and goods and divided it among the poor, uh, among themselves as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with good gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. So they were not only just doing this for themselves, okay, the people who were in the kingdom, but they were getting favor with all the people, okay, the people who were in the kingdom of the earth. And then what is what does it conclude with? Uh, verse 40, 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So as they were modeling truth, modeling the truth of the kingdom, modeling justice, modeling righteousness, modeling love in their actions because of their love for their fellow believers, they sold everything and brought it to meet the needs of the believers. And, uh, and what happened? Okay, the people around them saw it. They had favor with all people. Okay, people outside the church, people outside the kingdom of God. And the Lord added to the church daily. So people were just being saved and getting, you know, showing up in the, into the church. Okay, now why, why does that not happen today? You know, perhaps because we've gone away from some of these things, right? Uh, we've gone away from living that, that kingdom life. Uh, and so the word of God is very clear, right? So we are to live like Christians are supposed to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, okay? Uh, are supposed to live. And this is what draws people to the church, okay? So this is, this is again a very, very important principle. Let the church be the church, okay? So second one, don't expect, uh, uh, second application, don't expect the government to do what the church is doing. So we should not rely on a government or a party or a leader to do the job of the church. Okay, we should not rely on the political process to change the culture and to change people's hearts. You know, if God wants to use a particular political leader or a party to make, bring about some changes, great, praise the Lord. Okay, but the church needs to focus on its job, which is to pray for the rulers, which is to teach and make disciples. And thirdly, which is to model, model the kingdom life, the Christ model, the way that Jesus lived. Okay, so we shouldn't make the gospel a hostage to specific political agenda. And the sad thing in the United States today is that, you know, a, a group of Christians have, have made the gospel hostage to a political ideology. Okay. Now it's a political ideology that I happen to agree with a lot of it, but not to the, to the, to the respect of saying, not to the extent of saying that this is the only right way that if you don't do this, it is unrighteous, right? That is trying to achieve the aims that God has through the government, which is not what the church is supposed to do, right? You can have people in the church who hold a philosophy, political philosophy to the right, political philosophy to the left. They can agree or they can disagree on those kind of details about tax policy and certain laws and all these kind of things. But at the end of the day, all of them, if they're part of the kingdom of God, they need to be doing these three things, right? Okay. Praying, preaching and teaching. Okay. And modeling the truths of the word of God. And we need to come together to do that. Okay, so the church should focus on doing its job. So that's number two. Number three. Okay, now there's a distinction between the church as a whole, the church as a body, and the individual believers. So as dual citizens, individual believers have a role in the earthly kingdom. Now we have a role in the earth, you know, as part of the church, as part of the kingdom, we are disciples, right? And the church is to develop our discipleship, develop us as disciples. And a disciple, you know, a better disciple is one who, who follows you know, more rigorously the teachings, right? Um, you know, and, and then you have, you have baby disciples, or infant disciples, and, you know, half-baked disciples and mature disciples, you know, all, all brands of disciples, right? And, and the idea is that we should grow along that continuum, okay? But us individual believers, we have a calling to be salt and light and leaven wherever we are placed, okay? Wherever we are placed, go back to Matthew 5, I'm not going to go there, 
because of, uh, you know, uh, or maybe I will, I think that's an important passage there. So Matthew 5, so this is talking about the shining city on the hill, right? Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to citizens of the kingdom, okay, who are supposed to live by these teachings of Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So picture this, okay? You are part of the church, okay? The church teaches you, okay, to be a better disciple. You become a better disciple, but you go and take that life of the disciple, the light of the disciple, the saltiness of the disciple into the world, okay? Into the kingdom of the earth because you are in both places, right? Um, you know, in your workplace, okay? In your interactions with other people, okay? And, 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 and so what happens, okay? They see your good works and they glorify your father. And this is the way it's supposed to work, okay? Christians should infiltrate the earthly kingdom where unrighteousness rules, prevails, and be salt and right and offer the point of view of the heavenly kingdom. You talk about the heavenly kingdom. You talk about your own life. And, 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 and as you do that, you know, when they see your good works, when they glorify your father in heaven and they want to know about the kingdom and they become a citizen of the kingdom, all of a sudden you've moved an individual from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. Okay, so you understand, and all of us have a call. So there's a questions about, can we get involved in politics? Well, you know, maybe God will call you in politics and it's very important that we have Christians. You know, I saw a question on the pigeonhole about, you know, is it okay for us to be in, in government roles or political roles or, you know, or to be, um, uh, um, um, uh, what is it, uh, journalists and, and this, that and the other, right? Absolutely. I mean, you as individual believers, now it's not the role of the church to go into all those things, but it's a role of you as an individual member of the church as you are living as part of your dual citizenship in the earthly kingdom to go in there and to take the salt and light and then, you know, usher people into the kingdom of God. Okay, so, but you need to understand that that's not the same calling for everybody. God calls you to a certain role. He calls me to a different role. Maybe he calls you to go and work among the poor or he calls you to work in politics. Okay, it's not for me to say, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't work in politics. Okay, that's the, the separatist position. Or, it's, or if he calls me into politics, it's not for me to say, well, how come you guys are not all getting involved in politics to change the culture? No, that's my call. Okay, that may not be your call. Your call is to do something else. Okay, so don't expect the church and, and don't expect coming to the church and say, well, you know, why is the church not taking a position on this or that? Why is the church not endorsing this political party or that candidate? Okay, that's not, that should not be our expectation of the church. All right, so... So I'll uh, close in a minute here. So remember these three things, okay? Let the church be the church. And these are all built on those four absolutes, right? Maybe I should just go back there. Four absolutes from scripture. There are two kingdoms in conflict. Every believer has a dual citizenship. Human governments are ordained by God to restrain evil. And the church is ordained by God to make disciples. Okay, and with that, we came to these uh, three applications. Okay, uh, let the church be the church. Let the church focus on its role of making disciples. Okay, making stronger citizens of the kingdom, better disciples. Number two, don't expect the government to achieve what only the church can accomplish. Number three, don't expect the church to accomplish what only individual believers can achieve. 
I just want to close out with one more thing, which is a few points on what it means that this gets to some of the questions they have. Uh, so I'll just touch on this and then close out. Um, living as dual citizens. So God has a calling on the life of each believer and we must be faithful to that call. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know, it talks about, um, uh, about how everybody's calling is different, right? So it talks about the fact that, you know, some of you are slaves, some of you are free, some of you are, um, you know, various different categories of people, uh, you know, and uh, uh, where is that? 1 Corinthians 7, 17. As God has distributed to each one, okay, and here he's talking about some of you are single, some of you are married, okay, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised, let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commands of God, commandments of God is what matters. So it doesn't matter what your calling is. Your calling is different than my calling, but all of us are called to keep the commandments of God. And it says that is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. Great, if you're made free, wonderful. And serve God in, a, as you, in your calling as a free man. Okay, if you remain a slave, serve God in your calling as a slave. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Because, you know, in, in the God's kingdom, you are free. In the earthly kingdom, you might be a slave. But in God's kingdom, you are free. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You know, you might be free in God's kingdom, but you're actually a slave of Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 6 and 7, right? We are to be slaves to righteousness. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Okay, so God is a calling on each of our lives. We must be faithful to that. Okay, second point. All believers are called to honor the authority structures that God has ordained. We saw that in Romans 13. Okay, if God has called an individual believer to participate in government, then they should prayerfully. Okay, so we have these examples of Joseph and Daniel. Joseph became the Prime Minister of Egypt, Daniel became a governor in, in the Babylonian kingdom and later in the Persian kingdom. Esther was a queen, you know, who was used to, um, you know, to uh, rescue the people of God from destruction. Okay, so we see, we see examples of this. Okay, God, if God has called an individual believer to participate in government, then that's your call. Go do it. Okay, there's nothing wrong with it. Of course, you don't violate the principles of God. That's where the dual citizenship comes in. Okay? Sometimes the dual citizenship, because these two kingdoms are sort of in conflict, they're butting heads with each other. Okay, You need to be watching for this. right? And if you end up compromising, then you lose your salt, saltness and saltiness and light, uh, you know, and you become ineffective. right? So when the government becomes, this is important, okay? when the government becomes corrupt, we are called to make appeals Okay, we are called to do non-violent resistance and prophetic critique. So prophetic critique is like, for example, Daniel, okay, he goes before the king and he tells the king, well, king, you know, what you're doing is wrong, right? He, he interprets a prophecy to Belshazzar. He says, you have dishonored God. You have been unrighteous, okay, and, and you will be punished, right? But without violating the tenets of the kingdom of God. So there might be a time where we have to say, you know what, you are corrupt, okay? We don't agree with this. This is wrong. Okay, but we love you, you know, uh, you know, we honor you, we respect you because you've been placed in authority, you know, whether that's our prime minister or, or, or the president of or whoever it is. Okay, we will submit to you. Okay, but we want to call out that what you are doing is wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, but we have to remember not to 
you know, not to, um, you know, to continue to honor the authority. Now, there might be a time where we are forced to violate our allegiance to Jesus. So this is where the conflict gets so severe between the two kingdoms that we as dual citizens are, are, are honestly called to choose. And then what do we do? Do we agitate? Do we rebel? Do we try to burn buildings down? Um, you know, yes, we exercise our rights. We can go and appeal. You know, our rights, if you live in a constitutional republic, where, which, which um, you know, which enshrines secularism, we should, we should fight all the way. But at the end of the day, if you go to the Supreme Court and it says you have to violate this, you can't worship Jesus, then we are called to humbly disobey and face the consequences. Okay? And, and, and uh, Peter expresses this very, very clearly and very plainly in Acts 5.29, where he says, um, you know, uh, where, where he's, they have been accused, right, by the, um, um, the council, the, the, the Jewish council. Right, the apostles are on trial. Chapter 5 of Acts, verse 28. The high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have so they've been told once not to preach, but but you know, they choose between God and man. Okay, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, intent to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles uh, answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Okay, we ought to obey God rather than men. Um, so it's very clear there, right? When it comes to choice between obeying the clear command of God and obeying the command of men, okay, if we are forced to violate our allegiance to the kingdom of God, our allegiance to the king of the kingdom, which is the Lord Jesus, okay, and we are, then we are called to humbly disobey, but not in a belligerent way, not in a, uh, we still do it in a loving, in an honorable, in a righteous way, and we accept the consequences. That consequence might be jail, might be death, you know, as we know, it might be martyrdom as has happened throughout history. Um, you know, but that's what it means to be, uh, that's what it takes to live effectively as a dual citizen. Okay. All right. I think that was a lot. So, um, you know, time has gone by. So, uh, uh, Liju, uh, I, I think we'll probably just do the questions next week. Uh, but but I would encourage each of you to just take this, um, um, you know, that uh, that you take some of these things we've talked about and see if you can answer your own questions, okay? But you do have a lot of good questions here, so we'll try to uh, address uh, these uh, you know, next week, okay? Okay, so, uh, yeah, Liju, anything else you want to add or? Uh... Yeah, I think we are good. Um, this was very interesting, and uh, maybe uh, we will do the session next month with all with the Q&A, so I'll save that up, uh, George. Yeah, and, uh, we'll cover these questions. I think we, uh, we're going to have beautiful applications to these questions based on uh, this theological framework, right? Yeah, and the important thing is, you know, go back to the framework, right? Go back yes. to the That's why I would like each of you, see again, the point is, you know, the church is here to make disciples, okay? We are here to train you not to give you the answers, okay? We are here to train you, you know, um, the church is here to train you to think like a Christian, right? So I want you to, to take as your homework exercise for the next month, Go and take all of these. You may not get it totally right. That's okay. Uh, some of these don't have a, uh, it's not a multiple choice, right or wrong thing. Okay. It's a, it's, it's application. That's, that's got to be a little nuanced. So I think these are great questions. Okay. Um, you know, can we as believers consider politics as a career? Um, you know, as a Christian, am I expected to support a party which opposes legislation of homosexual marriages? How would homosexuality being illegal and legal 
make my country more or less acceptable than it is to God. Okay, so apply some of the things we talked about to these questions and try to come up with an answer yourself. Okay, that, that would be a great exercise in learning for, for every one of you. Okay, um, you know, is complete abstinence from politics a safe practice? Anyways, evil coming, so why get involved? More peace of mind. That's, a, that's the question I was looking for. Okay, about the, the sort of people who are tired of it, right? The presupposition that's, you know, we're tired of this thing, why get involved, right? So, so we've answered a lot of these. We've given the principles to answer it. We'll send out the deck so that you can go through it. But please do that, okay? Uh, if, you're, if you're serious about becoming a better disciple, um, you know, you will, you will take what we've learned here and, and really try to apply to these questions. Try to come up with answers. Think for yourself, okay? Um, you know, it's important that we learn to think and we learn to think biblically with a biblical framework and a biblical worldview. Okay, all right, good. I'm done, everybody. Have a good afternoon.